Revelation chapter 19, we'll start part two of the second coming of Christ. And I told you last time that two times in the book of Revelation do you see heaven open. One time's in Revelation 4, somebody's going up, like a picture of the rapture. And the second time is Revelation 19, somebody's coming down. And it's the second coming of Christ. And notice in verse 11, he says, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture, it's his clothing, outer clothing, dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword. Now if you take that sword, take the S off of it, what you got left? Word. Out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword. And so literally he doesn't even need a sword like you would think of like a person would hold in their hand. All he needs to do is speak. And when he speaks, things happen. He said, let there be light, and you know what happened. There was light. All he has to do is speak. Out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, uh, last time we talked about this a little bit, and we talked about the first coming and second coming. And no doubt he came the first time in Scripture. And the first coming, we've read about that in all the four Gospels in the Bible, told about his coming and said he would come and when he would come. And had a preacher this week uh, uh, called me and was asked me a question about uh, Daniel's 70th week and all that. And I said, well, he said, how's, that, how's those weeks work out over there? There's 70 weeks. And anyway, and uh, he's a real smart preacher. He, he had it all down. But anyway, I, I just told him a couple things, and I think it might have helped him along the rest of the way. But um, we was getting down through there. And I said, well, the truth is, I said, when Herod asked those scribes about the Lord, when he's supposed to come, he knew that the Bible told when he was going to come the first time. And so the Bible did tell that in, back in Daniel chapter number 9. Now, it doesn't tell you when he's coming the next time, but we do know that he is coming. And the second coming, we don't want to confuse that with the rapture. Now, there's the second coming of Christ. There's more about the second coming of Christ in Scripture than any other teaching or doctrine. More about it than anything else. All the Old Testament prophets talk about it. All those books, they allude to it. If they're not talking about it, they're, there's, they're alluding to it. There's all kinds of things about it. It's amazing how much is in there. And all through the Bible, you read about his second coming. But the second coming and the rapture are not the same things. The rapture is when we're caught up with him in the air. Like 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Corinthians 15. We're caught up in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. We're going to be changed and all that sort of thing. But the second coming is when he's actually coming back. And he's going to stand on the ground. And he's going to rule and reign for a thousand years. The first time he came to die, the second time he's going to reign, the Bible says. And we talked about the picture of his coming last time. And so I told you about his picture, and I didn't just tell you that. I showed you scripture, what it described him as, what he's going to look like when he comes back. As a matter of fact, what he looks like when he comes is nothing what people have the paintings and the drawings. It's just the opposite of what he looks like. And then we saw 
his clothing and what that would be like and several things within that. We saw what the earth, the picture of the earth when he came. And then we looked at his path and how he's going to come back on a horse and the direction he's coming. The Bible gives that direction. It tells you about it, which is pretty amazing in my mind. And it shows where he's going to land at. He's going to land on the Mount of Olives, the scripture says. And when he lands there, that mountain is going to cleave into two, four different directions. And they know that there's a fault there. And I think even when we were in Israel, one of you was saying the last time afterwards, I don't know which one, it might have been Brother Wayne or somebody, uh, that that guy when he dropped us off, they was going to build something there, but there was a fault right there on the top. Well, no kidding. One day it's busting open too. And the Bible tells about it in Zechariah 14. And so I told you there's an old song. It says, when he first came as a baby, his mama laid him in a manger. But what a sight on horses white, he will return as the lone ranger. He's coming back on a horse. And that's going to be something. And so we talked about the picture of his coming, the path of his coming. So tonight, number three, let's talk about the people of his coming. The people of his coming. Do you realize he's not coming back by himself? He's got people that's coming back with him. Go ahead and the book to the left of Revelation is Jude. It's a little short book, one chapter. Book of Jude, let's look at it. And in the book of Jude... It quotes a prophet. His name's Enoch. As a matter of fact, the Bible doesn't even tell you he's a prophet. Back in Genesis when he showed up in chapter 5. But the book of Jude tells you that he proph- he's a prophet, that he prophesied. And not only does it tell you that he prophesied, it tells you what he said when he prophesied. I mean, this guy walked with the Lord and the Lord was close to him. And the Lord showed him things and he prophesied. The Bible wasn't even written yet. And in Jude, verse 14... It says, and Enoch also, look at this, the seventh from Adam. Well, he's pretty far back then if he's the seventh from Adam. Prophesied, if he prophesied, he's a prophet. Of these saying, what did he say? Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. Not ten thousand, ten thousands. Uh, ten thousands of his saints that's a lot more than ten thousand and it's going to be a high number a number you can't even count I'm talking about there's millions coming back with him and what's he going to do verse 15 to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all of their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him you got to admit one thing Enoch was probably not a popular preacher Man, he was preaching doom and gloom. The Lord's coming back, and he's coming back with ten thousands of his saints. And when he comes, you know what he's going to do? He's bringing judgment. He's going to execute judgment. And all you heathens, what he said. <laughs> it's going to be ugly. There's going to be bloodshed when he comes back. And it's going to be that way. And see, they don't realize that. They think, man, they've got the United Nations and NATO and all this stuff and all these superpowers, the United States and China now and Russia and all these different people, and they think they'll be a match for the Lord when he comes back. I mean, that'd just be something to laugh at. All he has to do is speak, and the sharp two-edged sword comes out, and his word speaks, and they're done. Right then. It's over. Over before it even gets started. You want to talk about somebody powerful. That's why you need the Lord on your side. It's not about who's got the most nuclear bombs, which I'd like to have the most, by the way. But it's not about who has the most. It's about who ha- who's on the Lord's side. Amen. I want to be on his side. And I want him on my side. And the only way for him to be on my side is for me to be on his side. So that's what I'm wanting. All right, there's another scripture. There's another guy that prophesied. Deuteronomy chapter 33. His name is Moses. 
Deuteronomy chapter 33. He's going to have to agree with Enoch. Now, Enoch's first. He lived before Moses, way before Moses. When Moses showed up, he prophesied. Deuteronomy chapter number 33. Deuteronomy chapter 33. And here it is again. Same prophecy. Deuteronomy 33, verse 1. And this is the blessing wherewith Moses, the man of God, blessed the children of Israel before his death. Just before he died, this is what he said. And he said, The Lord came from Sinai and rose up from Seir unto them. He shined forth. He's in all of his glory. From Mount Paran, and he came with ten thousands of saints from the right hand went a fiery law for them that didn't happen in Moses's time that's a prophecy is what that is and I gave you the the path of his coming last time and it went right through Sinai Sears another name for Esau and Edom and so is Perrin all that just like we said south of the Dead Sea the Bible talks about him coming but when he comes he's coming with ten thousands of his saints the scripture says don't you, I mean, to me, that's a big deal. Well, I mean, when I think about it, here's the Lord getting ready to come back at the second coming, after the rapture, after, after the judgment seat of Christ, after the marriage, of the, the marriage and the, all that kind of stuff that takes place in heaven. And here he comes, he gets on a horse, and one of these days he's going to say, saddle up! And boy, we're getting on horses, and we're coming back with him. He'll say, are there any animals in heaven? I don't know, I think there's horses. Because he's coming back on a horse. Boy, that's going to be amazing. John Wayne and Clint Eastwood, eat your heart out. You don't have any idea what we're about to get involved in. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Another scripture telling about the same thing. You say, how many of his saints are coming then? He's going to tell you right here. I'll give you the exact amount. You say, you can't do it. Oh, yeah, I can do it. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 3 and verse 13. To the end, he, that's the Lord, he, may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father. Here it is. At the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. You say, how many of them's coming? All of them. <laughs> okay, I didn't give you a real number, but I know they're all coming. That's for sure. That's like a guy, he asked, he said, how many um, push-ups could Chuck Norris do? And I said, all of them. <laughs> they make jokes about, the, anyway. That's a lot of them. So he's coming back with all his saints. So if you're saved, you're coming back with the Lord. And not only are you coming back with him, when John wrote Revelation 19, he may have seen you. you imagine that? You're in the Bible. If you're saved, you're right there in the Bible. He's coming back with all of his saints. That's me and you. We made the Bible. We're coming back with the Lord. That's exciting. That's amazing is what it is. And it's going to be amazing when we come back. See, the world is anti-Christian right now. They hate us. And if they ever hate us, they really hate us. Our home country hates us. It's amazing the hatred that they have. 
Oh, they talk about hate, and they don't even see the hate in themselves the whole time. They're the hate-filled people. And they want to rid the world of Christians, but the bad news is they can't get rid of us. Even if they do, we're coming back. We're coming to the Lord. Then what are they going to do? Tell them, oh, you, Jesus, you man of hate. No, they won't say that. I have a feeling they'll be real quiet when he comes back. Amen. That'll be good. CNN's going off the air. All right. He's coming back with more than saints. Take your Bible and go to Psalm 68. Psalm 68. Psalm 68. Psalm 68. It's a, it's a second coming Psalms. A lot of these are. It's amazing how many are. Look what it says in verse 1. Let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered. Let them also that hate him flee before him. He's coming back. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melteth before the fire, so let the wicked perish at the presence of God. They're going to see his presence someday when he returns. Now you get down through here and it tells a little bit about his coming. Look in verse 17. The chariots of God are 20,000, even thousands of angels. The Lord is among them as in Sinai. That's the, that's the way he's coming. In the holy place. You know what it says? Thou hast ascended on high. Thou hast led captivity captive. Thou hast received gifts for men, yea, the rebellious also that the Lord God might dwell among them. He's going to dwell among them. You know what he's bringing? He's bringing his saints back with him. He's bringing more than that. He's bringing chariots. The Bible calls him the Lord of hosts. A host is an army. You say, who's his army? Angels. Man, one angel killed 180,000 Assyrians in one night. Rambo, he wouldn't even have a chance. Him and Schwarzenegger together, I mean, they wouldn't know what to do. 180,000 one night. One angel killed them. He's bringing back at least 20,000 in chariots and more. And they're coming back. And I'm talking about, you want to you bring your tanks out. The Lord's got chariots. And they're going to be special chariots because they're built in heaven. That'll be amazing, won't it? Those angels are coming back with the Lord. You say, what's the people of his coming? We're coming and angels are coming. You know, the funny thing is, even though he's bringing this great big army, he's not going to need any of them. It's kind of just a show of power. You see North Korea, and they got all those tanks and stuff going through their streets, and I mean, they got this big power, and their people are starving to death over there. I, I feel sorry for those people over there. But anyway, there they are, and they're starving, and they're showing that great big power, and, and, and they may have some power, but they don't have power compared to our military power. I mean, it's just a joke compared to what... That we'd wipe them out in five seconds. If I mean, if we wanted to, we could. I mean, it, it wouldn't take long. But the truth is, could you imagine Russia? They do the same thing. And imagine America. We're showing all that we have and all this force and power. And the Lord comes back and all he does is speak and it's over. <laughs> I didn't even have to use my men, he said. I didn't have to use my army. All I had to do is speak. That's how powerful his word is. That's why they want to censor his word. They don't want his book out there. They want it censored. Get it out of school. Out. That's why these kids are growing up in socialism. Now, 
our kids aren't here naturally. We got good kids because I got parents teaching them right and grandparents teaching them right. But I'm talking about throughout our country. You know what's happened? They've gotten rid of the book. You say, why do you get rid of the book? That's what they did in Germany. They burned all the books. Now Amazon says that they're not going to sell certain books because they're a hate crime. You say, what kind of books? Conservative books. Christian books. Isn't that amazing? You say, what are they doing? Anybody can say that studied history what they're doing. They're trying to take over the world is what they're trying to do. And they're doing pretty good at it. But I got bad news for them. One day the Lord's coming back and they're not going to win. They are going to lose. You say, whose side are you on? I'm on his side. That's whose side I'm on. I'm coming back with him. I'm in his army. That's the one I'm in. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be good. He's coming back with angels. And just before he comes, those angels are going to gather some more people. I'm not going to get into that tonight. I'm going to give that for a different night. So the people of his coming. How about this? How about the purpose of his coming? So what is the purpose of his coming? Well, I'm kind of right in it right now. The purpose of his coming is very important. It's to establish a one world government. You say, what? I thought that's what the Antichrist is going to do. Sure he's going to. He's a copycat. But there's somebody else coming back that's going to do it the right way. I'm against one right now. If man's involved in it, I don't want any part of that. I like democracy. I like building a vote. Whether your vote counts or not, that's what I like. I like to build a vote. And you know what? If I vote different than you and you vote different than me, that's fine. We can do whatever we want to. We can go on about our day. But the truth is, I like to be able to do it like we're doing it. A democracy. But there's coming a day where it won't be a democracy. It's going to be a theocracy. A theocracy. And there'll be a one-world government. But what you see now is you see them trying to shape up a one-world government. They're trying to make things where it's going to be their way from now on, the way it's going to be. One thing they've got to do is they're going to try to add two states. You say, why? Because they know they're in big trouble if another election comes around. That's all that tells you. Because if you don't add, if you, when you add states, you get more House of Representatives and you get more senators. Well, that swings it a different way, see? And they want to make sure Washington, D.C., they're going to get the scum of the earth as senators and House of Representatives when you get people from there if you make that a state. Washington, D.C. has no business being a state. And then they're going to make Puerto Rico a state. The old-time preachers, when I was a kid, they said, when the Lord comes back, and I'm just telling you what they said, I'm not going to go into all of it, and, but maybe it's so, maybe it's not, but they always said there'll be 52 states. I heard that when I was a little boy. There'd be 52 states when the Lord comes back. We're close to it right now. They're already wanting to expand the House of Representatives. You say, why? Because they know in two years they're about to lose it. They've got to stop that. Because if they don't stop it, they're going to lose their control for communism. Is that's what they're trying to... That's the whole mess you're in right now. I mean, we might as well just go ahead and drop it and forget it. We're living in a country that's gone crazy. I'm not, I'm not going to play game. I'm not playing politics. I'm teaching the Bible is what I'm doing. But when you got a man sitting there in a dress that's going to be over your health system in America and everybody thinks that's serious, your country is finished. You're done. And that Trader Joe is the one putting him in. If you don't like it, that's the way it is. You should have known he was going to do it. I'm telling you, we are in a mess in America right now. I don't understand that. How can, You have to be warped to do something like that. Your mind's twisted. You've got to be of the devil to believe like that. You can't be of God. 
That's crazy. You say, well, Trump, I'm not talking about Trump. I don't even care about that. He ain't president. That ain't what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the immorality of America is what I'm talking about. We're in a mess is what we're in. Man, it's a mess. You say, what's coming? Establish a one world government. I'm getting kicked off of YouTube. We might as well go ahead and mark that down. That's happening. But you know, you say, why? Censorship. It's got to be censorship. Craziness. To establish a one world government. It's going to happen. And the Antichrist is going to do it. We see everything unfolding. We see it happening just like it's going to be. But the Lord's coming back and he's going to establish a one world government. And it's going to be done the right way. I don't trust a Republican or Democrat to do it. I don't trust any of them to do that. I trust the Lord Jesus Christ to do it. That's who I trust to do it. And when he comes back, he's going to rule with a rod of iron. You say, how do you know? Look in Psalms 2. I mean, it's going to be his way, friend. He's the only person I trust making all the decisions. I trust him completely. I trust him with my life, with my salvation, with everything I have. Psalms 2. Psalms 2. When you get your first day in office and your first day, you send money overseas to kill more babies, you're wicked. First day, you got big problems. Psalms 2. Psalms 2, the second coming Psalms. He says in verse 1, Why do the heathen rage? And the people imagine a vain thing. Brother McFadden preached for us and talked about people raging in the streets and stuff. He says, that's how to be in the end times. Huh, it's right there. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. His anointed's Christ. That's Jesus saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. That's what they're doing. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. So you're not hurting me. The Lord shall have them in derision. In his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. He's coming back and he's going to reign. And I will declare the decree the Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. You read that in Hebrews chapter 1 verses 5 and 6. Uh, read it over there. Um, matter of fact, it might be quoted uh, more than once. I think it's in Acts as well, chapter 13. Thou art my son. That's Jesus. This day have I begotten thee. Talking about the virgin birth. Ask of me and I shall give thee heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. He's going to rule the world. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Do you see that? Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. He's ruling with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's wheel. Like potter, broken pottery going everywhere. You say, how do you know it's him? Look at verse 12. Kiss the son. Lest he be angry, and ye perish from the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are all they that put their trust in him. Kiss the son. You say, what is that? That's worshiping him. In the Bible, when they, when they worshiped the Lord, they went down to his feet. And you read about that lady kissing his feet and all that kind of stuff. That was worships what that was. That's how they worshiped. And that's a good thing. Kiss the son. That's a good, good advice right there. All right, there's more to that. Take your Bible and go to Revelation 2. Only four times you read about this rod of iron in the Bible. One time in Psalms 2, which is a second coming Psalms, and then three times in the book of Revelation. Let's just see them. Psalms 2, about almost to the end of the chapter. 
The Lord's talking to these churches here. This is the church of Thyatira, I believe. And he says he's coming back in verse 26. And he that overcometh, that's you and me, that's saved people. And keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. That's the millennium. And he shall rule them, look at this, with a rod of iron. As the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers. Does that read like Psalms 2 to you? That's what he just said over there. Even as I received of my father, and I will give him the morning star. The morning star is Christ, according to Revelation twenty-two sixteen. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith in the churches. You need to hear that then. You got an ear, you need to hear what he said. That's important business right there. The Lord's coming back. He's going to rule with the rod of iron. Revelation 12. Revelation 12. Revelation chapter number 12. And it talks about the Lord. Revelation 12, 5. And she brought forth a man child. You say, who is he? He's Jesus who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. He's going to rule all nations. Every nation will be under his rulership, and he's going to rule with a rod of iron. They're not voting on it. Be his way. I'm for voting on it right now. But during that time, I'm not for voting on anything. They'll say, what do you think? I'll say, whatever he says. Whatever he says, that's what I think. He knows best anyway. He knows best about everything. The Lord's coming back. And he's going to rule the rod of iron. Write down Revelation 19, 15. I'm not going to read it, but that was in our opening text tonight. And he talks about ruling with a rod of iron. So what's his purpose of his coming? To establish a one world government where he's the king. Secondly, to establish Israel, Israel, Israel as his chosen people. Now we see an attack on Israel right now. They put a lady, um, Omar or whatever her name is, from, is she from Minnesota or somewhere? And they put her over all this stuff with these foreign stuff, especially dealing with Israel. She's the same one. She wants to bring charges against Israel. She hates Israel. She wants them wiped off. She wants them destroyed. She's wicked. God said, I'll bless them that bless thee, talking about Israel, and I'll curse them that curse thee. Well, the last thing you need is you need somebody in Congress or Senate that's against Israel or a president. We don't need anybody like that. You got say. There's a difference here. I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. When I vote, I try to vote according to the scriptures. That's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for somebody that's for Israel. And I'm looking for somebody that's against killing babies, against abortion. I'm looking for somebody that would try to uphold marriage, biblical marriage. I'm, I mean, there's several things involved there. And then if they can help the economy and all that, that'd be a plus. But that's even farther down the line than these things to me. People that would help put uh, uh, back churches so churches can teach and preach the Bible. Say, I mean, there's, there's more important things than some things. But we're living in a time where they're turning against Israel, but it's all prophesied. They've got to turn against them for everything to work like it's got to work. But God's going to set His people, Israel, like they ought to be. Now turn to Isaiah 40, and I'm going to show you the Lord doesn't think about Israel like He thinks of other countries. As a matter of fact, in all the countries in the world, God started one of them. He started the nation of Israel. He started by calling out a guy named Abraham. And Abraham had a boy named Isaac when he shouldn't have been able to have him. He was as good as dead. He's 100 years old and Isaac was born. His wife was 90 when she gave birth to Isaac. That's a miracle from God. And you know what happened? That boy, Isaac, 
grew up and got married, and he had two boys, Jacob and Esau. Esau was the firstborn, and then Jacob. And God chose Jacob, and Jacob got his name changed by God to Israel. And he had 12 boys, and they became the 12 tribes, and your whole Old Testament's following those boys and their descendants. The whole thing's about them. The 12 tribes of Israel, and they become a nation. And they're still a nation today. All these years later, Isaiah chapter number 40, and there's been plenty of people try to destroy them. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 15. Look what he says about the nations. Here's what God, this is what God thinks. Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket, and are counted as the small dust of the balance. Behold, he taketh up the isles as a very little thing, all the islands. And Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor the beast thereof sufficient for a burnt offering. Nothing good in Lebanon. All nations before him are as nothing. And they are counted to him less than nothing. And vanity. You know what God looks at as the nations? Not just nothing, but less than nothing. I'm talking about a negative symbol in front of it. <laughs> That's not saying much about the nations. You say, well, Israel's a nation. Uh-uh, hold on a minute. Numbers chapter 23. Numbers chapter 23. Let's just see what he says about these nations in Israel. God doesn't count Israel among these nations. They're different. Numbers chapter 23. If I was going to help somebody, if I, was, I, if I was a government, if I was president, I'd... I would help the American people. I'd do everything I can for the American people. However, I'd also do everything I can for the nation of Israel. Everything I could do for them, I'd do it. Numbers 23. Numbers 23, verse 9. For from the top of the rocks I see him, and from the hills I behold him. Lo, the people shall dwell alone, and shall not, uh, excuse me. Yeah, the people shall dwell alone, and shall not be reckoned among the nations you say who are the people the whole context of the chapters israel israel is the people he said i don't reckon them among the nations he said i say the nations are less as nothing but when i look at israel i don't put them in that number they're different as a matter of fact he looks as israel as the apple of his eye go to zechariah chapter 2 next to the last book in the old testament if you go to matthew and hang a left it's two books back for matthew Zechariah chapter 2. Look what he says about these people. So I'm not telling you what I think. I'm telling you what the Bible says about it. Zechariah chapter 2. Zechariah chapter 2. Zechariah chapter 2. He's talking about Israel. Verse 7. Deliver thyself, O Zion, and dwellest with the daughter of Babylon. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, after the glory hath they sent me unto the nations which spoiled you. They're going to spoil Israel. They're going to take their spoil and loot from them. Surely there's people that wouldn't loot. For he that toucheth you toucheth the apple of his eye. Then I'd leave them alone. The apple of the eye is the heart of the eye. Matter of fact, if somebody threw like a dart or something, you'd cover your eye. That's the precious part. It's just a natural instinct to cover your eye as it get put out. And that terminology is still used today. If you, it's a term of endearment, the apple of your eye. You say, where did it come from? God, talking about Israel. 
That's a Bible term. People don't, there's so many terms in the Bible that people say today, it's amazing, and they don't know they came from the Bible. The apple of your eye. You say, what is it? Israel's the apple of God's eye. We better leave Israel alone then. They say, well, what we need is an is Israeli state and a Palestinian state. No, that's not what we need. What we need to do is let Israel have their land and leave them alone. That's what we need to do. See, that's destroying what God said. It's going against the Bible. It's wrong. That word Palestinian didn't even come into history until Yasser Arafat showed up about the 1960s when they had that seven-day war. There wasn't anything called a Palestinian before that. No such thing. You say, well, he was part of the Palestinians. He was from Egypt. He wasn't even from there. <laughs> and he's calling himself a Palestinian. He was born and raised in Egypt. He wasn't from Israel. That's amazing. That Israeli place is for Jews. If you was in Israel right now, let me tell you how it works. There's certain towns the Jews control, and there's certain towns that the Arabs control. And if you get to a town where it has an Arab town where they're in control, there'll be a sign up at the town. I've been there. I know what I'm talking about. Got pictures of it. I can pull. I can produce it. Took myself. There's a sign up. It says, "If you're a Jew, do not come into this town because you could die. They'll kill you. They'll kill a Jew for going into their towns." But at the same token, if the Arabs go into the Jewish towns, nobody hurts nobody. It's one-sided. That's what you're living. That's what we're dealing with right here. You know what the Bible says about those Arabs? It said they'll be wild men. Their hand will be against every man. That's what it's talking about over there in the book of Genesis with Ishmael and all that bunch. That they'll be wild men. And they are. Anybody put bombs in their underwear... Their elevator didn't go to the top floor. Somebody say amen. Mm. No, thank you. They did it. All right. Israel's going to be his people. Now, what else? He's going to establish peace on earth when he comes. Everybody wants to talk about peace. We just need unity. Why are you lying, rascal? You don't want unity. There's only one person who can bring unity. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to bring unity. I always said about these politicians, never pay attention to what they say, watch what they do. Because if you want unity, you do things a whole lot differently. You try to have peace. But some people don't want to have peace. It's pretty amazing how it is. It's pretty wild. But anyway, that's a whole different story. But he's coming back. He'll be the Prince of Peace, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. I'm not going to turn there. But that's future tense. He's going to be the Prince of Peace when he comes. And it's going to be good. You know what else he's going to do? And I've alluded to this. But he's literally going to set his throne up in Jerusalem. And he's going to rule and reign. You say, how do you know that? Well, turn back. Are you still in Zechariah 2? If you are, that's good. Look in verse 10. He says, Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion. For lo, I come, and I will dwell in the midst of thee. Oh, you will? You're going to dwell here, saith the Lord. And many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day, and shall be my people, and I will dwell in the midst of thee. And thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts has sent me unto thee. And the Lord shall inherit Judah, his portion. That's where Jerusalem is in the, in the tribe and the land portion that belongs to Judah. In the Holy Land. That's the only time the phrase Holy Land is mentioned in the Bible. And shall choose Jerusalem, look at this, again. Be silent, O all flesh, before the Lord, 
for he is raised up out of his holy habitation. He's coming back, and he's going to choose Jerusalem again. He said it in chapter 1 and verse 17. Cry yet, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, My cities through prosperity shall yet be spread abroad, and the Lord shall yet comfort Zion, and shall yet choose Mecca. Uh-uh. And shall yet choose Rome. No. And shall yet choose Washington, D.C. Uh-uh. He's going to choose Jerusalem, the Bible says. That's what he's going to choose. That's his place. The headquarters of the world, when he comes back, will not be in Manhattan in the United Nations building. It'll be in Jerusalem where the Lord is reigning. That's where it's going to be at. The Lord's coming back and he's going to rule. There's more. Okay, turn to Ezekiel. Back to the left. We're about done. Ezekiel chapter 48. We're in a little bit of a Bible study tonight. And that's good. That's how we learn our Bibles. So we see these things. Ezekiel 48, the last eight chapters deal with the millennial reign of Christ. And they're redoing Jerusalem during that time. And it's down here on earth that he's talking about. Ezekiel 48. And he talks about the city and he gives the measurement of the city. Verse 35, the last verse of Ezekiel 48, the last verse of the last chapter of Ezekiel. It was round about 18,000 measures. And the name of the city from that day shall be, the Lord is there. That's the name of the city. You know what that is? That's Emmanuel. God is with us. God with us. Emmanuel. You know why somebody the Lord's there? Because he's going to be there. And he's going to rule and reign. Turn back to um, chapter 44 while you're here in Ezekiel, since you're this close. Look what it says about him. Ezekiel 44, 1. Then he brought me back the way of the gate of the outward sanctuary, which looked toward the east, and it was shut. That's called the eastern gate. In the old city of Jerusalem, there's still a wall up. And that eastern gate, you can see it from the Mount of Olives. It's concreted shut. We got pictures of it, don't we, guys, that we went over there. And it's concreted shut. And what happened was in 1517, Seleucus the first, the Turk, he came over there and he heard the Jewish holy man was going to come through the eastern gate, so he concreted the thing shut so he couldn't get through. And then the Muslims got together and they, they built a Muslim graveyard just right outside that eastern gate. I mean, right there. I've got pictures of that too. Because they read that a Jewish holy man would not desecrate himself by walking through a Muslim graveyard. And so, I mean, they put them everywhere. That's kind of like a place of victory. They got a Muslim cemetery on top of Calvary. I mean, that's unbelievable. On top of Calvary, they got one. Anywhere they think they're conquering, they've got him killed, they think, you know. Just like in 9-11, they're putting the Muslim stuff down there. That's ridiculous. Can you believe that? People are warped, aren't they? How could you do that? Forget all those people that died innocently like they did. It's just a terror, an attack on our country, an act of terrorism and war. And they're going to put that down there. It's just hard to believe. But yet, they've got all that shut off, but they think that concrete's going to stop him from going through. And they think that graveyard's going to stop the scriptures from being fulfilled. But look what it says in verse 2. Then said the Lord unto me, This gate shall be shut, it shall not be opened. The Lord even said it was going to be. He prophesied that Seleucus was going to do this hundreds of years, maybe 2,000 years even. 
before it happened. And no man shall enter in by it, because the Lord, the God of Israel, hath entered in by it. Therefore it shall be shut. It is for the prince, the prince. He shall sit in it to eat bread before the Lord. He shall enter it by the way of the porch of that gate and shall go out by the way of the same. He's going through the gate. And when he comes in, he's going through that eastern gate from the Mount of Olives. You can see it from there. He's landing there at Zechariah 14, like I showed you last time. He's going through that gate, and he's going right into that temple, and he's going to sit down in the Holy of Holies, and he's going to be the Lord of Lords and King of Kings and God of Gods. And man, that's going to be something, isn't it? And he's going to rule and reign from that point forward according to the Bible. If this Bible's right, we're on the winning side. If it's wrong, we're all in big trouble. But I'm betting on it being right. And I believe it's right. All right, we're going to stop there. That's enough, I guess. I hope you enjoyed that. A lot of info. Any questions or comments on it?